0: For those of you who have maybe not been with us, we started a series in the fall, uh, going through the book of Revelation. Uh, We got to about chapter 12, and uh, I think God just set us on a trajectory elsewhere, and we've been looking at uh, the subject matter of spiritual warfare, because chapter 12 and chapter 13 uh, identifies really the source of all demonic activity, all spiritual opposition. It's the dragon. It's Satan, the devil and uh, what we 've been doing over the past uh, today is going to be week seven uh, over the past seven weeks is that we 've been looking at a lot of content having to do with spiritual warfare, how to become victorious, uh, how to be able to wage war against the dragon against the devil. Uh, I think one of the things that we 've identified very clearly is that spiritual warfare is not oftentimes what we assume it to be that we've mainly looked at a lot of the devices by which the dragon uses to attack us. Uh, He uses uh, supernatural demonic, uh, extraordinary demonic. This is, you know, crazy, all bells and whistles type stuff, you know, that you see in horror movies, right? That type of evil, that's for sure. But he also wages war against us more subtly, like a sniper. He hangs out, uh, he's camouflaged. We don't identify him. But yet he's still taking shots at us, still attacking us. And these are things as innocuous as bitterness. Being angry with somebody. Having resentment in your heart towards somebody. If you're somebody who is uh, typically prone towards lying. Lying is a characteristic of the dragon. Uh, we'll even look at today. If you're the type of person that has an autonomous... Attitude, meaning you just like to be left alone. You don't need anybody. You're constantly fighting against all types of, uh, authority or being involved in any type of group or you just, you want to be your own master. That autonomy is very characteristic of the dragon because he is autonomous or at least he thinks he is. This is why he broke ranks with God rather than being dependent upon God and worshiping God. He broke ranks and says, I'll be like God. I'll do what God, what I want to do because I'm God. That's sort of this autonomy that we're talking about here. That's all demonic. If those are attitudes or characteristics you see in yourself, be aware that those are means and footholds the way Paul describes it. Those are little footholds that the dragon has set up in your life to destroy you, to bring you down. So please understand that not all demonic activity is blatant. Not all demonic activity is oftentimes very easily identifiable. Satan works far more subtly than we oftentimes care to give him recognition for. So with that, that's what, we're, we, what, it's what we've been looking at. And that's taken us several weeks to take a look at that. Past couple weeks, we've been trying to identify some remedies. How do we find victory through these attacks? How do we move beyond these attacks and come out on the other side victorious. Those are the things that we're going to be taking a look at. I'm going to pray. we got a lot of stuff to take a look at here today, and as I mentioned, this is the last week. We will be done. Uh, you're welcome. And uh, we will actually be getting back into the book of Revelation next week, and we'll be making our trek through that until we're finished with that, I think. I, I, unless God throws us something else into our track and wants us to do something else. But as far as I know, we're just going to finish up the book of Revelation. We'll go on to something else from there, So if you guys would not mind joining me in prayer, and then we're going to get to work on a lot of different verses that we're going to be identifying. Father, we first of all just want to just confess that all too often we fall prey to the world, the flesh, and the devil. We give in to these attacks. We live duplicitous lifestyles. We act as if we're autonomous. And at the same time, we try to go to church, we try to be good Christians, and yet in reality, something's broken, something's not functioning, something's not happening, we're not firing on all cylinders. And God, I pray this morning that you would help us to have light, not just illuminate scripture to us, but Father, I pray as well that you would illuminate darkness that is resident in our hearts, evil uh, priorities, evil propensities, evil desires. God, identify those things in our hearts so that we can change those if there are people here today that are not Christians. God, bring them to Jesus. Help them to see their ultimate need for Christ if we are Christians here today. God, help us to not be smug or arrogant or beyond reproof or correction or beyond thinking through how we live our lives as either community or autonomy. Lord, help us to just walk, as your word says, in the spirit, not fulfilling the lust of the flesh or of the mind or of the world around us or giving in and partaking of the bait that the dragon and the devil constantly give us all the while hiding and veiling the hook. God, we want to walk in the spirit. We don't want to succumb to the evil acts of the flesh. We want to be victorious, So we pray for your help, pray that you would bind and overcome any demonic activity that would keep us from seeing the light of Jesus the way you want us to see him today, we pray. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Um, I'm going to jump right in, we're going to keep going. Uh, The first remedy that we looked at several weeks ago by way of review is this, Jesus is the first remedy, you got to understand, if you're ever going to overcome or take on or be victorious in the realm of spiritual demonic type warfare, you have to first of all understand that Jesus is the dragon slayer. That means if you're not a Christian, uh, you, you cannot get out of demonic activity until Jesus rescues you. It may be subtle, it may be blatant my word of advice to you would be to trust in Jesus. Run to Jesus. Look to Jesus. If you're not a Christian, or if you are a Christian, again, the same actually applies to you. If you find yourself in places where demonic activity seems to overtake you, again, the same solution applies. Jesus needs to be who we run to, who we go to. I'll be quite frank with you, one of the things that I think I've learned over this past seven weeks, I may have known it in theory before, but I think over the past several weeks, it's become way clearer to me, uh, more than anything, and to be quite honest with you, kind of shocking to me, just the reality of it, is I feel like I've learned something through this, that evil is far more pervasive in the world, in myself, the flesh, and the devil than I've ever noticed before. I've ever, really, I've ever really even kind of confessed or identified or seen it as such before. In other words, all things somehow bear some sort of mark of evil upon it. Everything, everything in this world, everything in my heart to some degree more or less has been tainted by evil desire, evil passion, uh, satanic, again, proclivities, desires, de- uh, you know, direction. Evil is all pervasive, is my point that I would make. And what it's done for me personally, is it's caused me to recognize more than ever, my need for Jesus. That I realize, for me to be victorious, for me to, I can't depend upon myself, I can't even rest upon what I know, theologically, or what I know in my own heart, because even I might take theological concepts and truths, and I may apply them arrogantly, and thereby falling prey once again into the very trap of the dragon himself. See what I'm saying? So even though I may take good theological, good sound theological concepts and truths, the way I apply them can also be demonic, meaning arrogant, uh, prideful, and it's, it's, it's caused me to realize more so than anything, I, I, I need Jesus. I need to run to Christ. I need to check my attitude along with his. I need to test my motives with his. I need to look at the reason why I do things with his. I need to check my theology with his. You guys get the idea? That, that, that evil is all more pervasive than oftentimes we're willing to just give credit or recognition for. And so how desperately we need Christ. Christ comes into this world untainted, unstained by the dragon. Even though he's tempted on every side, he's tempted to what? To sin. But he never sins, he never sins. So I would say Christ was very victorious. Christ knew how to overcome the attacks of the dragon, very well. So really what we're just trying to talk about, and what we're really trying to identify, is we really need Jesus. If we're going to overcome any type of demonic activity or any type of demonic oppression, uh, what we need desperately is we need Jesus. We need a glimpse of Jesus. We need the power of Jesus. We need just the presence of Jesus in our life. So I hope that becomes very clear uh, to you as, you know, it's, I, I feel like it's been good for me to just keep being reminded of that. The next thing that we're going to take a look at is actually have it up on the screen is the second principle, second remedy to help us to battle, to wage this war. Uh, first of all, again, like I said, Jesus is the dragon slayer. recognizing that Christ is that. The second of which is living according to the new nature. We said basically last week that there are two components to this. The first of which is sort of the positive. That is to walk according to the new, uh, walk according to the spirit, or walk according to the new life that we've been given in Christ, the new nature. That's walking in the spirit, uh, walking in a way that really is uh, what Jesus did. Jesus walked in the spirit. Jesus never fulfilled the lust of the flesh. Even when Jesus was tempted, remember when he was in the wilderness, and he was uh, tempted to create stones in the bread. There's technically nothing wrong with creating stones and making them bread, especially if you're God. And I mean, that's pretty amazing to be able to do that. But in the context, it would, it would have been giving into what the enemy told him to do. And so Jesus basically resists... And even that doesn't give into that. So his whole life, Jesus walks in the spirit. So when we basically say one of the other ways in which you uh, overcome demonic warfare is you walk according to the new nature, live according to the new nature, we're saying you walk in the spirit, which is the way Jesus walked. The second thing, again, this is w- way of review. We're going to jump right in, and this is what we're going to be taking a look at until we're done with this. So the next one that we're going to take a look at is more of a negative in terms of standing up or resisting. So the verse that we take a look at next, next slide, is this. Um, there's three main verses that oftentimes people think about when they start talking about spiritual warfare. Uh, it's oftentimes Ephesians that we'll be looking at in just a second here. But the main verse or main word that people oftentimes think about or associate with spiritual warfare is this word that we used last week, and we looked at this verse last week again. So this is kind of way of review, but we'll kind of overlap this a little bit today. Is the word resist? And the word resist comes from the Greek word antihistamine, which literally, you know, you get the English word. So if you got allergies, you take an antihistamine, uh, it's the same idea. It's something that stands against, in your body, in your case, your histamines, right? Stands opposed to your histamine. So in this case, it can be translated as resistance. Um, And one of the things that we really want to try to identify is what does resistance look like? And the question that we wanted to ask to try to help us to more fully understand what resistance looks like is to ask the questions of what does non-resistance look like. Sometimes the best way to identify something is to identify what something is not. So we want to know what resistance is, but we also want to understand what non-resistance is so that we can better fully understand uh, what Paul asks us to do, what uh, these other passages will also reference us in James in this particular case as well. Really what Jesus did. So the first one is this. uh, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So by way of review, uh, Non-resistance looks like submission to the world, the flesh, and the devil. In other words, we just give in. We, the word uh, submission is, uh, we, we get the hoopostasis, which means to put yourself under something. So in this particular case, you are putting yourself under the influence of the world, of your fleshly sinful desires, and of the devil. So to live in non-resistance It's to not put up a fight and just do what you feel like doing. To just act the way the rest of the world is acting. To just do and take whatever the dragon puts on the hook. Again, he disguises the hook, gives you the bait. He's always willing to make the bait look even more beautiful than before. Because we're types of people that we need something that outdoes what we had yesterday, right? Whether that's gadgets or technology or a room addition, or you know, whatever it is that you do in your house to make things look better. We always want a 2.0, right? Well, Satan is the master of 2.0s. 3.0s. You get the idea, right? That's, you know, I'm not even going to make a PC joke, but I was. But the point that I want to make is this. Is that non-resistance looks like just giving in. Resistance looks like submitting to God. Um, I mentioned last week, I'm going to, by way of a review, mention this again. It's, it's curious to me that the way that James points out resistance, he doesn't say resistance looks like going out and attacking the dragon, cursing the dragon, throwing something at the dragon. It doesn't. Submission or a resistance, in fact, looks very much like worship. Rather than submitting to the worshipful uh, desires that he throws at us, from the, from the world, the flesh, and the devil, uh, James urges us: submit yourself to God, worship God, love God. That's how that's how we battle. That's how we overcome. That's how we resist the devil. Non-resistance, we just give in to him. So you get the idea with that. Take a look at the next verse that we're going to jump into. It's the one that's probably most common to most of us. Uh, Ephesians chapter six. Uh, I'm going to pick it up at about verse ten. It's a great verse. Here's what it says. Ephesians 6, verse 10 says, Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers, against this present darkness, against spiritual forces in evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Having done all the stand, stand firm. Therefore stand, having fastened on the bell of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as the shoes of your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times, in the Spirit, with the prayer, with all prayer and supplication, to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication or prayer for all the saints. So let's apply that concept of resistance and non-resistance. So take a look at this. Um, Non-resistance in this particular setting, next slide, basically is forgetting who the real enemy is, not being aware of the real enemy. This is one of the reasons why Paul goes on. Did you notice that? Take a look at that again in verse 12. He says this, for we don't wrestle against, some of you might be like, I thought it was my husband I'm wrestling against. I thought it was because he was such a jerk. That's why I'm having so much problems. Maybe, maybe the dragon likes to speak through your mouth of your husband periodically and your mouth, but the reality is the real enemy, the real enemy is far more evil, far more insidious. And that's what Paul is trying to convey. The real enemy that oftentimes uses other people in this life or other... Uh, friends, or family, or acquaintances, or bosses, or whomever, landlords, or whatever the case is. He uses these types of things because we are all fallen creatures, and we are all prone to bite the bait for getting the hook. Does that make sense? So in between two people, let's say husband and wife, and you guys get into a nice little battle over, let's say, guacamole or no guacamole, right? I know something really big. And sometimes little things like that can become Radical. I mean, so bad, so horrible that you're just like you're. You don't even bring any peace to each other for the next two days, and it's over something so silly, right? So what ends up happening is, let's say someone's pride gets stepped on. So Satan appeals to the pride. They shouldn't talk to you like that. Yeah, they shouldn't talk to me like that. And then you slash back, and now he's angry because in his mind he's like, my wife shouldn't talk to me like that since she know who I am, right? I mowed the lawn yesterday. You know, and like, you slashed back. But here's the deal you slashed back harder than she slashed you. Rarely is our judgment eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Let me tell you what I mean. Our judgment, the way that we handle judgment is usually you took my eye out, I'll take out both yours, right? You took out one tooth, I'll take out your whole upper row. That's how we work. We don't know how to control ourselves. That's precisely why God says, vengeance is mine. Let me repay it. You don't know how to do it properly. And it just keeps creating more and more battle. Rather than extinguishing darkness, we're actually throwing kerosene on the fire. See what I'm saying? So here's what he's trying to say. is Non-resistance is we forget who the real enemy is. We forget that behind the scenes is demonic forces. Are these evil powers and evil forces and demons that are constantly looking for opportunity to disrupt a fellowship in churches, disrupt love in families, disrupt unity between children and parents, disrupt uh, camaraderie between husband and wife. Do you get the idea? This is how the dragon works. And he's very good at it. And he does so by constantly whispering into our minds and causing us to just think the real enemy, the real enemy in the church is that pastor or that person or the Bible study leader or the person sitting next to me or the one that's in my Bible study or whatever the case is or in the family, whatever. And what ends up happening is we think that's the real enemy and we put all of our energy and strength and might to fighting that enemy. You see what I'm saying? We write blogs about that person. We spread rumors about that person. We read books about this ministry. We are constantly engaging, in my opinion, oftentimes, the wrong enemy. And at the end of the day, the dragon is laughing. Just laughing. Now, yes, the dragon uses other people. Yes, say a teacher teaches false teaching. There's things that should be corrected. But how is it done? It's done loving. Not with arrogance, because if you do with arrogance, then you're actually using the enemy's bullets to fight a battle that you think is supposedly godly, godly, and it's not. It's just more Satanism, more Satanic operations happening behind the scenes. Again, you're just throwing more kerosene on the fire, and you're not helping. You're not pushing back darkness. You're actually just making more complexity in the darkness, and not having any success. So, the first thing you need to understand non resistance looks like forgetting who the enemy is. But resistance looks like remembering God. That's why Paul starts out in verse 10. He basically po- makes his point. He says this, oh, whoever it is, that we're to remember the power of the Lord and to live really within the might and his power and strength, to understand, to remember who God is, to remember his power, to remember his strength, to remember his might. Again, True resistance is not fighting, engaging the dragon. It's remembering the power of God. Don't forget that. Because sometimes fringe Christian groups sometimes have this mentality of the way that we do true spiritual battles. We engage the dragon. We fight the devil. That's true, you do. But the way you do it is not oftentimes the way that gets promoted. The way you do it is you submit to God. You recognize the strength and the power and the might of God. And that's how we do formidable spiritual warfare. Non-resistance, next, Uh, looks like believing lies. Believing lies. Believing lies, this is one of the biggest ones I oftentimes see a lot of times. People believe these little lies. And this could be lies that they hear about other people. This is lies that they hear about Uh, maybe even themselves. They think about themselves. I see this a lot. This is one of the, in my opinion, one of the unfortunate things about uh, the internet today, especially in the realm of Christianity. I was just talking with somebody in between services that frequents this one particular website. In my opinion, that's totally full of lies. There's lots of lies, outdated truths, They're not consistent. It's more like a Christian spin, National Enquirer type of a site, and oftentimes they spin truths, spin stories uh, about other Christians, about other people that love God, serve God, and are part of the team of Christians, and yet they love to spin lies, and what ends up happening is people believe these lies, like this particular couple. They believe this lie about this one particular person, and they basically went to this group of uh, people in our church, and they're like, listen, if you're doing this, This is wrong, this is evil, this is bad. And the reality is, they're they're based on lies. And the enemy is using lies that they believed to bring about disunity within the church. So so how do you combat lies? If non-resistance is just simply believing lies, what is resistance? Well, resistance This is where Paul gets into sort of the larger theme of the armor of God. Now again, Paul was a good writer, and he was able to identify the culture in which he lived. And uh, you know, I don't think if Paul was living today, he would use this analogy. He'd probably use it for like a, I, I don't know, maybe like a UFC fight or something like that. You know, have your waist girded with, you know, big humongous belt in which you're going to go conquer and destroy somebody. But in this case, he's got all he's got a plethora of, you know, Roman guards hanging out in all the street corners. They're marching all over the place. Everybody knows what a Roman guard is. So Paul uses sort of this imagery of a Roman guard. And he says, Look, my gosh, these guys are clothed in this massive armor. Why? Because they're warriors. Uh, warriors do battle. And Paul's saying that's very similar to how we fight as Christians. We fight a battle. There is a battle in which we engage. We have a real enemy in which we fight, in which we struggle against. So Paul uses the analogy or the picture of a Roman guard. He says, You know, the same way, the way this guy's robed in certain clothing, that's kind of what we need to do as Christians. We need to have, in this case, he says, uh, the belt of truth. Again, resistance looks like knowing the truth. Non-resistance gives into lies. Resistance gets into the truth. We seek out truth. We search the truth. And to be quite frankly, frank with you, that means sometimes calling people up in which things, maybe there's vagueness about something that someone says. I mean, I've literally watched good Christian people who love Jesus get their name hacked into like a virus on a computer and destroyed. Because people Love to believe lies, and Satan loves to generate lies. So, as long as he can find people that love to just type real fast, keep blogs going, keep bad websites going, he'll keep feeding them full of lies because he knows that that's going to increase traction on their websites, which will mean they'll sell more books. And so, the more lies that go out, the more people's lives are going to be destroyed. Satan wins. Satan wins. It's horrible. How you combat that? You know the truth. You know the truth. The truth destroys the lie that's what resistance is resistance is by knowing the truth Uh, non-resistance again in this case is living unrighteously meaning we just don't live a life that looks like christ we live a life the way that we think we should live a life Uh, the way we live righteous or the way we resist is we have the breastplate of righteousness meaning we live in a life that looks like jesus that's what righteousness is Righteousness is basically right standing with God or having a life that's right, that's in right relationship with God. Jesus was always in right relationship with God. So if you're ever kind of wondering like, well, what does real righteousness look like? You know what, to be honest with you, don't look at me. Don't look at me. Uh, Look at Jesus. I'm trying, I'm still in process, right? My wife's like, amen. That amen you heard was from her. Um, That the reality is I'm still in process Jesus isn't, he is complete, he is perfect, he is holy, righteous. So if you have any vague ambiguities as to what does righteousness look like in order to resist, look at Jesus. Again, this is meant to drive us back to Jesus where we just, we have to go back to Christ. Otherwise, without going back to Christ, we fall into the same category of non-resistance where we live unrighteously. Uh, Again, what does non-resistance look like? Disbelief. We just don't believe. We don't believe God can do what God says God will do. Uh, Well, what does resistance look like? Uh, Paul says, uh, take the shield of faith. Trust God. Trust God. Live according to God's uh, plan. Trust what God has to say. Uh, Non-resistance looks like prayerlessness. Uh, We don't pray. We don't pray a lot of times just because we don't think it works. And again, that's sort of the mentality. And sometimes we pray because we have false assumptions of what prayer is. We're like, isn't prayer when I rub God's big belly and he just gives me whatever you want? He's like cosmic genie. All right, is that what God is? So I prayed four times for a wife and never gave me one. So I'm pretty angry with God and I'm about ready to quit Christianity altogether. It's because you have a false assumption as to what prayer is. You fell into the lie department and the dragon lied to you. He made you think Jesus was a pinata. And he didn't open up for you and spill candy all over the ground for you. Now you're mad. It's part of the lie. That's, honestly, this is one of the reasons why people walk away from God. It's Because the dragon's very good at whispering lies into our ears, playing into our lusts and our passions and our desires and our cravings. That Again, by the way, are sinful and tainted and affected by the dragon. And when we don't get what we want when we think we should have it, we just we write it all off. When non-resistance is, I'm just going to stop believing God. I'm just not going to believe him anymore. I thought he was going to give me a wife. He didn't. I thought he was going to give me a baby. It never worked out. I thought he was going to take care of my mortgage. We're three months behind now. You see what I'm saying? Resistance says, I'm going to hold on. It's hard. It's tough. It's difficult. But God says he is who he is that God is all powerful, that whether he he gives me good gifts or whether he takes things away from me that I think are good, but in reality aren't good because I don't always see the end and what the result they end in. I'm just going to trust him. Resistance is belief. That's why he says, take the shield of faith. Non-resistance is not praying. Resistance is, I'm going to be like a little child and I'm just going to keep going to daddy. And daddy, I don't, I don't understand what's going on in my life, but I need your help. That's what prayer is. Running to your Father and just saying, I need your help, God. I need your help. Take a look at the next verse as we move on. Uh, this is a passage in 1 Peter where he deals with the same word. Same word, enthahistomy. Uh, the word that we translate, resist. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verse 6, as he points out. Humble yourselves, therefore, in the mighty hand of God. So that in proper time he will exalt you. Casting your anxieties on him. Because he cares for you. Be sober minded. Be watchful. Your your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour. Again here he throws in that word. Resist him. Be firm in your faith. So you basically have three verses. From three different guys. James. The great apostle Paul. And in this case Peter. And they're basically all saying the same thing. So here in this particular sense. Non-resistance. Looks like being prideful and arrogant. This is why he finishes his little section, resist the devil, resist him, stand firm in the faith. Well, how? What, is, what does resistance look like? Again, maybe better understand what does non-resistance look like? Well, non-resistance looks like being prideful and arrogant, having this sort of mentality of, I don't need anybody, I don't need help, I don't even need God. I can do it on my own. I'll take care of things. Thank you. Or sometimes the worst type of arrogance, I think, oftentimes, is religious, moralistic Arrogance. This is the worst, wait, quite frank. This is the older brother in the prodigal son. This is the scribes and the Pharisees, the men who knew the Bible the best, who understood the scriptures as they understood the best, who lived righteously the best. The problem with them was that they were prideful and arrogant. And they fell right into the prey, right into the jaws of the dragon. Okay? Uh, resistance. In this case, it's humility. That's why he says, Brothers, sisters, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Put yourself under his authority. Submit yourself to him. Non-resistance looks like worry. Being full of anxiety. Jesus obviously addressed this. But do you know that living with anxieties really is non-resistance? It's just not fighting the battle. It's not resisting. It's not fighting the way we should. It's playing into the devil's attacks tactics okay it it, it basically says i don't know if god's gonna take care of me i don't know if god's gonna work i don't know if god's gonna help me god needs my help that's why i need to organize this and that's why i need to yell at people and scream at them until it gets done this is why i need to make everybody feel shameful because it's not being done right and if somebody like me does not jump in and do it you know what ends up happening you become a micromanager does anybody like micromanagers here No, I didn't think so. And the reality is that it's because of anxiety. We live with the sense of I have to be in control. I have to take full responsibility and control over everything because I'm just not sure if God will. It's one of the reasons, quite frank, the way you break this. Want to know the answer? You Sabbath. Like, really? (laughs) What does that mean? It means you take a break. stop doing what you're doing for a day you're like if I take a day off the office will crash you need a break because you think your whole business is built upon your shoulders it's anxiety it's not it's built on God's right God is in control anxiety is non-resistance resistance is exactly what he says cast all your anxieties on God, and he adds this little parenthetical statement, which I love. I'm going to throw out. He didn't have to say this, but I love the fact Peter's a great pastor. And here's what he says: "Cast your cares upon God, because He loves you, He cares for you. He's a Father that actually loves you, he cares about what's going on in your life. Don't you love that? Non-resistance is giving into mind-altering substances." So check this out, resistance is be sober minded, watchful, meaning you have your mind on, you have your game on, you have your eyes on the opponent, you're ready to hit the mat, all right, you're not going to tap out, you're fighting, you're resisting, and the way you fight, the way you resist, or non-resistance in this case, is you just give in, you get drunk, smoke pot, do dr- whatever it is, I mean, you know what I'm saying, you get, you get the idea, whatever it is, you can fill in the blank. Whatever you can think of that oftentimes changes the way that we approach our reality or the things that we do to try to change our reality to numb its effects, to remove ourselves from it emotionally and mentally or sometimes even physically, that's non-resistance. Resistance says, I'm going to be sober-minded. I'm going to fight. Take a look at non-resistance again, disbelief. Resistance in this case, that's why I to stand firm in your faith means to have trust in God, trust God. Last one I'm going to look at, I'm going to wrap it up right here, is the next slide, is one, Jesus, we need to recognize, as dragon slayer, it's remedy number one. Remedy number two is we need to live according to the new nature. Remedy number three is we need to live according to biblical community. There's three verses I'm going to read to you in a second here, but before I do, I want to preface it with this, that um, I'm going to say something that might shock some of you, might offend some, but I got to say it, because sometimes I think that In our culture, we read our Bibles from a wrong perspective. Let me tell you what I mean. Uh, We live in a culture that's very centered around ourselves. We live with this mentality that we are the center of the planet, of everything. And so what ends up happening is we carry that same uh, lens into the reading of our Bible. So we'll read verses, for example, like Ephesians, uh, which was what we typically call an epistle. And we read Ephesians as if it was written directly to you. We read it, we're like, ah, oh, okay, all this is directly written to me. First and foremost, you need to understand that the epistles, much of the Bible in the New Testament, much of the Bible in the Old Testament, whatever, was actually written not to individuals, but to a community. First of all, it was written to a community. So let me give you an example. Uh, there were some letters like Timothy and Titus that were written to individuals that had communal uh, implications. Uh, most of the Bible was written to a community that had individual implications. So I'm just simply saying that to make sure that you understand the order of this. So when you read Ephesians, this book was primarily written to a community, a group of people, we call it a church, probably meeting in someone's house, maybe anywhere between five to maybe, let's say, 100 people, sitting around someone's living room, eating barbecue, uh, just drinking wine, enjoying the presence of one another, enjoying fellowship with one another. Somebody reads this letter written from the Apostle Paul, and they're listening to this letter as a unity, as a community, listening to the words that Paul the Apostle has written. All right? So this idea of taking your Bible and going out, sitting on a rock, and having a nice little quiet time as an individual, in some ways was kind of foreign. For one, they didn't have individual Bibles. It just didn't. Printing press was not invented. It was too costly to even own Bibles or parchments. And if you did have one, uh, because you lived in community, it was always being passed around from hand to hand. Everybody, they're just like, if you're going to read that, can I be with you? So there's always people hanging out all the time. Rare was it, you know, someone go hang out on a rock with a little journal. I mean, I'm going to journal read my Bible. Maybe some people did that. But my point is this, is that by and large, am I, am I bagging all that? No, I'm saying read your Bible individually. Pray Go out on a rock, read your Bible, journal I'm definitely saying do that. Read the Bible as if it was written to you, for sure I'm saying that. But what I'm also saying, first and foremost, please understand that passages like this were written primarily to a community, a church, a group of people, okay? So here's what they said. Ephesians chapter four, verse two, in all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance to one another, in love. So how do we show humility and gentleness and patience with each other? Not as an individual, but as a community. This can only be done in community. Ephesians 4.25, lay aside falsehood. speak truth, uh, one of you with his neighbor. Again, how do we keep ourselves from lying uh, to each other? We, we do so in community. We let our things be cross-referenced and cross-checked. There is a natural built-in accountability, not where somebody's standing over your shoulder and hounding you, but in love. People are hanging out. Someone tells a story. I mean, if you're married, you're already in community. You already know what I'm talking about. This happens with me all the time. I'll say something, my wife's like, "No, that's not what happened." You know what that is? That's cross-checking. That's cross-referencing. That's my wife saying, "Ah, that's not really accurate, Brian. Um, it actually happened like this." And then I, you know, I'm like, "No, that's wrong." Um, and we get, she kicks me, and I have a bruised shin, and you know, we keep going on. We love each other. We keep moving forward. But the point of the matter is, is that. Biblical community, a lot of times, looks like that. We live in a community whereby we work with one another. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. So how do we live in community? Making sure there's not contentions going on. Forgive one another. You live in community. You work through issues in community. You deal with things, sometimes privately, but the private uh, you know, confrontations will have a communal impact. Meaning, you work through these things so that there would be a continued, sustained peace in the biblical community. Let me tell you how this works out for us as a church. I'll show you the next slide. For us as a church, you guys need to understand, um, like Acts chapter 2, verse 46 to 47, uh, they met corporately as a big body, but they also broke up into small groups throughout the week, and they met regularly, all right? So there's two aspects by which we function as a church. We're not saying this is the only way to do it. This is the way that we feel in our hearts, convicted to do it. Here's how we do it. First of all, we meet communally. We meet corporately as a body. Uh, We meet as a big gathering uh, here on Sunday mornings. The reason why we choose Sunday morning is because it's the day Jesus rose again from the dead. Hallelujah, right? We love Jesus. We love to remember what the resurrection is all about. Um, And we meet as a big body, and we do This together, big church together. We have three services uh, throughout the day. Um, You guys will go home after this. I'll go home too and I'll take a nap. Then I'll come back tonight and finish up the last service. Uh, And it's great. I love gathering together as a big family on Sunday morning to serve God, to serve one another, to worship. It's great. Get great worship. It's amazing. It's a great time. I hope you guys enjoy it. But this is not all we do. This is not it. In fact, the moment you walk out of the doors, that's where we begin the actual ministry of Calvary Slow. So not only do we gather as a big church, but we also scatter as missionaries. You need to know this. If you call this your church, and you're on mission with us, if this is your part of the body here, the fellowship here, you need to understand how we think. Yes, we gather. We love gathering. But oftentimes the main church, main corpus of the church in America has focused the majority of its emphasis upon gathering on Sunday mornings. We don't have anything against that. Some people revolt against that. Or like the only answer is small house church. I think small house church are great. But I don't think it needs to be mutually exclusive to having big church. Right? I've seen, in fact, I've seen the book of Acts. They did both. They gather together in big groups. And they, and they scatter together in small groups. Doing life together. So what we're trying to say is this. We love big gathering. But we also recognize the absolute need for small gathering. As we go out. So the reality is this. The moment you walk out the doors... You are walking out as a missionary. You are going out into the world as a missionary. The unique reality is that God has gifted each one of you with a particular sphere in life of influence. For example, some of you are students. That's your mission field. Some of you own business. That's your mission field. If you're a mom, change diapers, got five screaming kids running around the house, that's your mission field. You're like, really? Like, also too, probably when you go to the park and hang out with other moms with loud screaming kids, that's your mission field. Our mission field is wherever God has placed us, all right? Does that make sense? Some of us live very understanding of that, and we live uh, strategically and purposefully in our mission field, meaning we want to be good missionaries. Some of us have fallen prey to the attacks of the enemy where all we think is it's just a job. That's all it is. Or some of us have been seduced to think, all I am is just a student. Or all I live is in a dorm with a bunch of loud students running around. Rather than looking at it as, that's your mission field. Your job is your mission field. Your home is your mission field. Your neighborhood is your mission field. With that being said, we all fall prey to the attacks of the enemy. Sunday morning's great, but it doesn't accomplish every need. Because you get out of here and you begin to realize life hits you. You stumble again. You fall again. Maybe you're working with an employer that you just can't stand. Uh, and he yells at you and you don't know how to deal with it. And, you know, if, if you don't have community to go to to navigate that scenario, to work through that scenario, then you will probably end up taking matters in your own hands. Because by nature, we become autonomous we want to be autonomous. We want to do things on our own, the way that we think is best. And what I'm trying to say is that is demonic. That thinking is demonic. We were created not to be autonomous, but to be part of a community. This is why the present mindset that's seducing a lot of people's thinking that, you know, church is all messed up, I don't want to go to any large body of people, all the... I want to do is separate myself from the church and just go read my Bible on my own. And I don't want to have anybody speaking into my life, influencing my life, any type of leadership, leading or guiding or directing my life. All I need is Jesus. What I'm trying to say is that is demonic. Straight up, it's demonic. Has the church made bad decisions? Have people been... Have things been done in the name of God that have been false and wrong and evil? Absolutely all across the board, for sure. But the solution is not to become an autonomous being. The solution is to make sure that the community you're in is just like it says up here, biblical community. Surrounded by the Bible, built upon God's word, giving glory to Christ, serving one another, loving one another, Tending to one another's needs. According to the spirit and the power that God gives to us. Okay? So, last thing I'm going to say is this. If you're part of this church. And you're not involved in any form of biblical community outside of here. You're like, that's me. What do I do? Here's what I would suggest you do. I would suggest you find people that are in your life. People that know Jesus. This might be people in your dorm room, if you're a student, this might be people in your workplace, if you own a business or you work with other people that are in a business, maybe that know Jesus, or other neighbors that are around there, maybe you have different people that are in the same type of field of work. If you're a mom and you hang out with a group of other moms uh, that know Jesus, that claim to be Christians and walking with Christ, my suggestion to you would be to get those women together, get those men together, get those people together and say, listen, how would you like to just meet together regularly, intentionally, Getting together, praying for each other, building each other up. Let's go through maybe a book in the Bible. We'll just read it. We don't need to necessarily have somebody shouting at anybody for the next, you know, 40. It's, in other words, com- biblical community should not, probably will not look like this. In other words, where somebody yells at you for an hour. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. It should be way more organic where you guys are looking at the scripture together. You're loving God together. You're singing songs of worship together. You're praying for one another together. Going back to the scriptures together. So my suggestion would be to you is this. Don't wait for somebody in this church to show you what house to meet at or show you where to go or tell you what to go through. My encouragement to you would be grab some people that you know that love Jesus, same field, same group, same family, same community, same whatever, same arena of your life and say let's get together regularly. Whether it be before work, at lunch, after work, Friday nights, whenever. Whenever. And let's just meet for an hour, hour and a half, however long, and just pray with each other. Let's talk about God. Let's talk about what God's teaching us. Let's read through a book in the Bible together. Let's form biblical community. If you need help with that, that's what we're here for. Our job in this church is not to just yell at you. And I'm like, my job is kind of that. I like yelling at people, and God called me to do that. And what we have, guys like Pastor James, his job, his ministry in this church is to help equip you guys so that you can know how to do biblical community uh, in in a way that honors God and builds each other up. So if you would like input, contact Pastor James. He's there to help you, he's there to, we'll be doing like even little conferences, little things that would help to build you up and strengthen you so that you can do this right. Don't be paralyzed by fear, saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I should talk about. Talk with James. He'd be happy to help you. I think we're actually going to have some people afterwards that are already in uh, some of our community groups outside, and if you want to talk with them, they'd be happy there to to be there to talk with you, to kind of help give you a little bit of a direction as to what part of the pool you should jump into rather than jump in the deep end. If that scares you, they'll help you kind of walk out into it a little bit and just kind of give you some uh, pros and cons and just give you some input. It's not our job. It's not our desire to tell you what to do, how to do it. It's our desire to try to help you to see the need for being on mission, but living in biblical community while you're on mission, so that we can withstand the attacks of the dragon. So that we can resist rather than live in non-resistance. We want to be a church that advances God's light, God's kingdom, God's power, God's authority. But the way that advanced is not, is not the way that Rome advanced. It's not with sword. It's not with might. It's not with force. It's with love. And the only way that we can do that is by, first of all, recognizing that Jesus is our Lord, is our Savior. Secondly, recognizing that we need to walk according to the new nature. And thirdly, the only way that we can do that is by being in biblical community with each other. I don't know how else to say it. But the reality is, if you're looking at your life and you're like, gosh, I'm going through gnarly gnarly spiritual attack, and you're like, what do I do? like, I just want somebody to pray for me. We're happy to pray for you, but you have to also address the sin in your life. Is there darkness in your life that needs to be addressed? Are there windows or doors in your life that need to be shut and closed? Those are little windows and doors that allow the dragon to come on in. In other words, little areas of disobedience, little areas where you're harboring anger towards someone, and you're just saying, I want to be free from demonic attack, but I still want to hold a grudge. You can't. I'm sorry, you just can't. You're like, I, I, I want to be free from monic attack, but I want to do it on my own. I don't need biblical community. I, you really can't, to be quite honest with you. You can't. So we're here to pray, to help you, to serve you, be a body, serve one another so that we can go forward. I'm going to finish up right now. I know it's getting a tablet late, but here's what I want to do. Um, this is always kind of a big thing and, and I really I normally never do this just because a lot of times space is so tight in here but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, what I want to do is I want to speak directly to those of you if you're here and you're not a Christian and you see the darkness you feel the darkness in your life and you want to know how to get out of it um, I'm going to ask you to do something in just a second here but if you're here I'm going to also make an appeal to those of you if you're here you're a Christian and you feel the tangible darkness in your life, and you want to get out of it too. You feel the weight of sin that's pulling you, that's attacking you, that's affecting you, that's impacting you. You feel the reality of what it means to live in non-resistance far more than you live in resistance. If that's you, and you want God's power, God's strength in your life to help you, whether, you get, like I said, you're a Christian or, you, or you're not a Christian, because the, the same solution is the same. We need Jesus. We all need Jesus, and if that's you, I'm going to ask you um, right now with no fanfare to, to stand. I'm not trying to manipulate anybody. I'm not trying to do anything weird. All I'm saying is I, I want you to stand right now like as saying, I'm going to resist. I'm going to stand. And I want people to pray for me. And what I want to do is I'm just going to, we're going to have people lay hands on you and just pray for you and say, that's what we're here for. We're a body. We love you. We, we're here to serve each other. And we, we want to pray for those that are really serious about this. You feel the darkness in your life. You feel the reality that you're constantly giving into it. And you're just saying in a vulnerable way, I love you, church. I love you, fam. But I ain't help. Um, just stand. We're just going to lay hands on you and pray for you. Um, yeah, this is kind of a weird, awkward moment. And like I said, nothing weird is going to happen. We just want to pray. If one of you stands, we'll pray for one of you. A handful of you. Cool. Thanks, guys. Anyone Anybody else? You just kind of feel it, you just want to combat it. You don't want to succumb to it anymore. Um, I'm just gonna lay hands on you, and pray for you. Um, anybody else? Just kind of feel it. I'm gonna have uh, Evan of those guys come on up, they're gonna lead us some, some worship in just a second here. Anybody else? You, just, you, you feel the battle, you feel the tug, and you're just tired of living in non-resistance, and you want to change that today. You, you want to turn around, you want to stand, you want to resist the attacks of the dragon, By coming to Christ, by trusting in Christ, by having us as a church, beginning for us as a church, laying hands on you, saying, we're we're here for you to pray for you. Anybody else? Cool. All right, one last. Anybody else? You guys are awesome. Appreciate you taking that step. It's hard stuff to say that. We're here for you. That's what we're here for, guys. We're church. You understand? We're here for each other. This is not just us saying, what's up? We're going to make you look weird or feel weird. This is us saying, we're here to stand by you. We're going to lay hands on you and pray for you. So if you guys see someone standing by themselves or standing up, just go lay hands on them and uh, physically touch them. That's—it's nothing weird about that. It's basically, again, we live in a society that likes to just be autonomous. And we're going to resist that. You understand? We're going to resist autonomy and say, no, we are a corpus. We are a body. We are a physical body made up of physical beings that Jesus has renewed and redeemed. I'm going to pray for you guys. And then after we're done praying, we're going to respond by singing some songs of worship, giving our tithes and our offerings, confessing sin, just rejoicing. And uh, I'm going to pray, and then we'll end in some worship here. Jesus, right now, I pray for my brothers and sisters that feel the battle. They feel the weight of the attack. They feel the pull of the enemy. They've tasted the bait, not knowing there was a hook in that, and they felt the the barb of the hook. It caused pain. Lord, I just ask right now on behalf of them, and as uh, brothers and sisters in this room right now are laying hands and praying for them, God, I just pray that we as a family would just would realize we've got to do this battle together. We've got to fight with each other, not fight against each other, fight for each other. By the power of the strength that's given to us through the Spirit that Jesus, you walked in in your life. Lord, I pray that that same power would be given to my brothers and sisters here to not just walk in the light, but to also fight the evil, to confess sin, to let go of things that they're doing that are in opposition to you. And that's the way that darkness will be pushed back. So, Give them the strength right now, God, that they need to push back the darkness in order to resist the attacks of the dragon. We overcome because of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. We worship you now, as we sing to you now, as we partake of communion, pray that you would help us to remember uh, the blood and the body that were both spilled and broken for us redeemed us, saved us, set us free. So we look to you right now, we call upon you right now, we worship you right now. We submit ourselves to the Father and we resist the devil. Help us to worship you in Jesus' name, amen.